Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. We are talking today about the third weekend of college baseball. Going to preview the action from around the country. Got some exciting series and tournaments. Importantly, the Big Ten is returning to action. This will be their opening week of their conference-only slate Uh, So we're going to get into that a little bit, and then we're going to talk about some of the the best series from around the country. So an exciting show coming up. Uh, We'll dive into it in a second. But first, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're here. It's a beautiful Thursday as we record this ahead of the third weekend of the college baseball season. And we're going to get to all of that, the Big Ten the top series from the weekend. We'll, we'll pick five of those to, to break down as we always do. Uh, but Joe, what we're really here to talk about today is the Omaha Derby. Uh, that is the Nebraska Omaha Mavericks and the Creighton Blue Jays facing off this weekend in Omaha. Big series for, uh, in all seriousness, a uh, big series for the Mavs. So they're opening up their new stadium this weekend against a uh, crosstown rival Creighton. So a big deal for that program. A little, a little under the radar when you talk about opening the stadiums at Oklahoma State and Florida, chief among them. Uh, but Omaha also opening up a new stadium. That's a, a big deal for, you know, people who have been following along with our work for the last couple of years. May remember a story I did uh, two years ago. It was the beginning of what turned out to be Omaha's team that got to a regional in 2019. They had a couple of weekends where they played three games in three different facilities, and they were high school facilities around the Omaha area, which is less than ideal. And so that, that team has really been pretty nomadic over the last couple of years. And so to have like a legit stadium that they can call home is a huge deal for that, for that program. So, um, and it's a competitive series now. It wasn't always the case. Um, you know, Creighton really was, was the better team in that series for a long, long time. And they, in terms of raw talent, still might be. But uh, Omaha has clearly proven to be here to stay in terms of being a quality team. So that's actually a, that is a live series, you might say, in uh, Omaha. I wonder if any, like, I don't know how exactly to, to put this, but I wonder if any city over the last decade has like spent more money. Clearly places have poured more money into ballparks than Omaha because big league ballparks cost a lot of money and minor league ballparks cost a lot of money. But my point here is that Omaha or the slightly surrounding Omaha area has built three high level baseball stadiums in the span of a decade now with TD Ameritrade opening in 2011 and then 
the Omaha Storm Chasers opening their new park around the same time. Uh, I think it was a year or two later, maybe, but around the same time. And now the Mavericks opening this stadium. And, you know, for being just a, you know, a mid-sized city, that is, uh, that's an awful lot of baseball infrastructure investment uh, being thrown around here with, within the last 10 years in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's in a couple of those stadiums, obviously, obviously the, you know, for the, for Omaha, it's the, the, the university, in this case, Nebraska, Omaha, you know, it's, it's mostly just kind of for their use. And I guess even the storm chasers, although the storm chasers, they'll do other events there, but I'd be fascinated because of my, my specific background, for those who don't know, I also, I have a master's in public administration. So like, I'm kind of nerdy about things like city planning and um, kind of the machinations of that and, and what goes into stuff like that and, and um, infrastructure and, and things of that nature. And I'd be fascinated to kind of, you know, talk to some of the people around the city of Omaha over the last 10 to 12 years, because it really does kind of feel like it's a city that has decided and I'm not, this is not passing judgment. I, I, I say this without judgment at all. Like it's clearly a city that's decided we're just going to, we're going to go all in on being an event city and having the CWS every June really helps because you've got a tent pole event, but they also do the U S swimming trials. And, you know, when I talked to some of the local business people around Omaha, when the CWS was canceled and talked about the, the, the impact of that, you know, they, they were able to rattle off like several other events that happened in Omaha around that same time that I was unaware of and that I could not even name you now without going back and, and looking. So it's clearly a city that has really gone all in on let's build some infrastructure here so we can host these kinds of events so that we can bring people to Omaha outside of just the CWS. And I think, you know, I don't obviously don't know whether that's working or not or how they even define whether it's working or not. But what I will say is that the city does a really good job. And I've seen this with the CWS. I can't speak to the other events, but the city does a really good job of wrapping its arms around events like that. So it really does feel like a concerted effort. I sound like I'm doing PR now, but like it seems, does seem like a concerted effort from the top to down to the bottom in that city of let's support these events and really make Omaha a place that people want to come to hold these events so we can bring people into our city because um, they, you, you typically see everyone really go all in on trying to promote events around the city and bring people in and then give people a, a good experience there. Well, the other thing, the other really, really notable event that they have there annually is of course the Warren Buffett. Um, I don't know. Oh yeah. Berkshire mention. Hathaway. Yeah. Whatever. I guess the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting is the official name of right. that event. Uh, so having that along with the College World Series every year, and then they've become, like you said, the swimming trials home every four years, and they play an awful lot of NCAA tournament games there. I think they're going back. Um, for, I know they had games last year. I think they're going back soon, obviously, this year. They're all in Indianapolis, uh, but they, uh, they do have an awful lot going on there. And totally unrelated, uh, well, not un unrelated, but noting that the the entirety of the the basketball tournament both the men's and the women's are going to be located in in one geographic area the, the men in indiana and the women around san antonio um you know i i have at various times thought about like what would that look like for baseball and like could they pull such a thing off and uh i have at times forgotten that omaha was opening this this stadium for uno uh, and that gives them three in one area. Now, obviously one being a AAA stadium, a little uncertainty about 
the AAA schedule. They recently canceled AAA for April. We'll, we'll see where they are in June. Uh, and you throw in Lincoln, which I know is not Omaha, but it's not that far away. All of a sudden, you have four pretty high-quality stadiums not that far away uh, from each other. So just uh, a little something to think about. All right, Joe, speaking of COVID, this weekend has already been pretty affected by uh, COVID cancellations. We lost the first major conference series of the year when Wake Forest went on pause. Uh, I shouldn't say on pause. I'm not 100% sure they're on pause, but they canceled their games for the next week. And that takes out Boston College's series at Wake Forest. And like I said, that's the first major conference series to be affected. The Mountain West had lost some series. The Patriot League has now lost a series. Uh, there might be one or two others that I've, I've forgotten, but the first major conference series it was lost this weekend. And two SEC teams, Auburn and Mississippi State, both lost their opponents uh, this weekend as well. So it just, it's hitting a little heavier this weekend because there are some, some high profile holes. Now, the good news is that Boston College and Auburn were able to link up and they're playing a series on the Plains and Mississippi State, who also lost their opponent this weekend, was able to, to get Kent State. Uh, Kent State was supposed to play West Virginia. So there's another major conference program affected. Um, so just some higher profile stuff happening this weekend. Uh, related to the COVID, I, I felt like the second weekend had been too heavily affected. There were definitely series that were lost, but it was a little more under the radar than it is this weekend. And and even opening weekend, I feel like was less affected than what we're seeing this weekend. Yeah, it has just kind of come to a, I don't want to say come to a head, because that, that implies that it was something that was building. I think what we've learned with COVID is it just you know, you can do everything you can do. And sometimes it's just going to get you and you, you know, you just, you could be as careful as you could possibly be. And there's, there's only so much you could do. So I, I don't want to suggest that it was something that we were working towards here, but it, it has just kind of been uh, a bigger deal this weekend. And I, th I thought we'd actually, you know, I've tried to take the attitude of honestly, like the first two weeks uh, we lost that Kentucky North Carolina series to start the season. But outside of that, we really hadn't lost and I don't want to downplay teams losing games because those kids are disappointed. The coaches are disappointed, but in terms of high profile stuff, we hadn't lost a ton the first two weeks. So I'm trying to take the attitude of, you know, that, that things could have been a lot worse to this point. So I, I'm trying to be appreciative of the fact that, okay, week three has been affected a little bit, but ultimately to this point, I think it has not been as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought baseball was always in a better position than some of the other sports for reasons that you and I have talked about offline a smaller roster than football it's outdoors which is better than basketball you know they, they had the benefit of starting later so not only are we kind of better as a society at understanding what we need to do and what we shouldn't do but also uh, the numbers are better right now across the country versus what they were certainly during the entirety of the, the bulk of basketball season so a lot of things are working in baseball's favor that i think have allowed it to be in a better position so i'm trying to take uh you know, take the perspective of, okay, you know, this week we, we lost a little more than we would normally like to lose, but uh, so far to this point of the season, I have, you know, I, I, I'm kind of taking the attitude of actually things have been better than I really could have ever expected at this point. And so I'm taking that as a, as a, as a positive in general. The, the thing that I'm, I guess, 
concerned might be overstating it, but concerned about going forward is the ACC has no way of making these games up. Every other, the ACC is kind of the test case right now because they were the first major conference to start play. We've talked about that a lot, why, why that was, but the rest of them are, they're going to be starting soon. I mean, the Big Ten starts this week, the, the, the SEC and the PAC and, and the Big 12 and the American, they're not, they're not far behind. And of those conferences, only the Big Ten, because they're playing only conference games, only the Big Ten has any means of making games up. And even the Big Ten is going to struggle to make games up. They're in a better position because they're not playing midweek games. So they can work with it a little bit. But no one else has has any means of, of doing that. And so... You know, Boston College and Wake Forest are now maxed out at 33 ACC games. And, you know, it's not that big a deal to lose a few games here. The ACC teams, you know, typically you don't go 14 for 14. I'm playing 30 ACC games. Uh, That's always going to be challenging in terms of weather, especially when you have teams in Pittsburgh and Boston and South Bend. But it's uh, if this starts adding up, like it, it's just gonna be hard to know how you're making sense of standings and then how that affects um, what the selection committee does at the end of the season. None of this is to, you know, obviously the most important thing here is health. Uh, hopefully Wake Forest is able to make a speedy recovery, but if, uh, you know, it, it just starts to be a thing that that's really going to affect the the on-field component of all of this and, and the standings and, and the NCAA tournament bids. And I don't know how you would have gone about making up these games. I don't, I don't know what a good plan would have been. I know conferences explored the idea of keeping a weekend open, but the problem with keeping a weekend open is, of course, nobody in baseball ever wants to sit for too long. So then like, are you telling all of your teams that like you're going to have to sit for a week if you don't have to wind up making up games and, and all the rest of it. But as it stands, there, there is no makeup plan. And, and so this is, uh, this is just what we're going to have to deal with going forward. And, and the ACC is, is dealing with it right now. But I, I expect other conferences are going to be in similar boats uh, once they start their conference seasons as well. I think that's a certainty. And I think it's one of the ways in which, you know, we're going to talk about this again, but one of the ways in which the Big Ten deserves a little bit of credit is as wonky as that schedule is, you know, to hear the coaches tell it at least, there is a little bit of wiggle room with stuff if, you know, uh, Rick Rick Heller specifically said, you know, if you're in a three-team pod and one of those teams get shut down due to COVID, you know, before they get there, obviously – you know, those two teams can then just play four games or you can grab a team from another pod and they can come over there or, you know, a three game series can become a four game series. And he even said there is a possibility that if it's two close teams now Rutgers and Nebraska can't do this, but if there are two teams that are relatively close to each other, you can maybe meet up on a Tuesday and make up some games if the administrations are okay with that. So they clearly are really focused on let's just get as many games as possible. And, you know, with the schedule they put out, they I don't want to say they threw equity out the window, but certainly maximizing games was the 
you know, uh, goal number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, in terms of Big Ten scheduling. And so, you know, they, they have had that flexibility, like you, like you mentioned, they, they do have a little bit of a procedure in place to make up some of these games. Like you mentioned, the ACC does not. I just took a quick look at like BC schedule, for example. And, you know, they're, I guess they're a little bit unique because they typically play more midweek games and more home games in the second half of the season. So they're maybe a little more packed on the schedule in May than your average team is when a lot of times teams are kind of trying to taper midweek games by the time you get to May. But um, one, one, one conference that'll be interesting is the American because they, they do have uh, the edict of no midweek games once we get into conference play. Now that is specifically because they are doing four game weekends and they're doing four nines on the weekends. That's a lot of innings to cover, but you do wonder if, you know, that does maybe give them a little bit of flexibility, especially once we get to the end of the, the, the season and, maybe school is over and you get to that point of the season where there's a few weeks left and, and classes are more or less done. Does that mean that you can maybe push some things to Monday? Uh, I mean, the problem mean- there is that league is a flying league. Indeed. So, That's true. you know, if Wichita goes down, for example, and this is the most extreme example, but if Wichita goes down, they're not the only place that's even really mildly drivable is Houston. Um, you know, and, and most of the league is like that, except for, the two Florida schools being close together and Tulane and Houston being close together. And I guess Memphis isn't that far from a Cincinnati, but most of that league is just so spread out that it's hard to imagine that they would just suddenly drop flights into the mix just to make up some games. Yeah. You wouldn't think so. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, how, (laughs) how important is it to you, you know, and you wonder if it, um, if it gets to a certain point, what kind of solutions do we start seeing? Because I think it, I don't anticipate it getting to this point based on what we've seen through three weeks, but I mean, we'll see, but you know, if, if, if we start to see teams in some of these leagues that, you know, if you get, if you get paused at just the wrong time, you know, it could cost you six or nine conference games in some cases in these leagues, or if you're playing four game weekends, even more. And at at what point do leagues start to look at some outside the box solutions at that point? I think that remains to be seen, but I would not be surprised if, if we did see some, some weirdness late in the season for conferences trying to bend over backwards to try to get some teams, some games later in the year. But obviously we'll have to see on that. Yeah. It's uh, it's something to watch. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but minimally there are going to be teams that do not reach the maximum number of conference games or the scheduled number of conference games. I I really should say, Um, you know, and the, the, BC scheduling Auburn this weekend, like that's really cool that they were able to to make that happen, but that wasn't easy. You know, they were supposed to be flying into, into Winston-Salem or into North Carolina. I don't know if they were where, where exactly that their flight was taking them, but you know, this is college baseball. They don't charter here. Really. Uh, There are very few teams that use charter flights. So, you know, BC was able to pivot it wasn't an easy pivot by any means, and it's going to cost them some money, but they were able to, to find a way to, to get down to Auburn uh, this weekend. And, and that's not the easiest place in the world to get to. Uh, if you've ever been to Auburn, you, you know that you're either flying into Atlanta and driving a little bit, or you're flying into Montgomery or maybe Birmingham and driving a little bit. It's, it's, uh, it takes some doing. So, you know, good on BC, good on Auburn for making the most of, of losing their series this weekend. And, and that's going to wind up being a very intriguing matchup 
uh, that that means a lot for both teams, I think, because Auburn is reeling a little bit after what happened in Round Rock last weekend, and then on the on the flip side, BC is you know is flying high after after upsetting Duke in Durham, uh, and this could be a nice add to their schedule if they're able to uh, to go out and, and get a couple SEC wins on the road. Yeah, no doubt. Really good opportunity for these two teams and a good job by these staffs to get this to get this workout. That has been one of the, I think, the real positives so far of what we've seen related to COVID cancellations in, in baseball is that there's there's been a level of nimbleness with these uh, schools being able to get stuff scheduled on the fly. And that was a there's a level of rigidity in it seems like in football is obviously a whole different whole different deal we saw some of the scheduling on the fly in football um you know most notably with BYU and Coastal Carolina getting together later in the year but basketball it seems like there's been a level of rigidity they didn't do a lot of non-conference in basketball I mean that's part of that but baseball has really done a good job so far of uh, making lemonade out of lemons with the situation and and I think this is a, a great example of it a couple of teams that uh, you know BC obviously can can use the opportunity to continue building a postseason resume, which it started in earnest with a series win against Duke last weekend. And Auburn, like you said, you know, trying to get up off the mat off of just a, we didn't talk about it much and I don't, we don't need to here, but that, that um, tournament in round rock last weekend was just, we, we, we talked about it a little bit on the preview podcast in that, you know, it's, it's, it's a tournament that had a little bit of urgency behind it because some, so many of those teams in that field had kind of come off rocky starts to the season and you come out of it still not like at all being sure what to make of it because nobody, you know, nobody really came out of that thing smelling like a rose. Um, it was just a weird weekend of baseball all around. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully we learn a little bit more about the Tigers this weekend when they, uh, when they take on BC. Uh, again, that'll be interesting. And hopefully Wake Forest can get, can get well. Uh, so that next weekend is not affected as well. But that is something we will be tracking as we're tracking all COVID postponements and cancellations over at BaseballAmerica.com. If you are interested in seeing uh, what games and series are are being affected by the virus. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about the Big Ten and its, its return. Joe wrote about that this week in, in three strikes over at BaseballAmerica.com. So we're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. All right, Joe, the Big Ten is back. I am excited. You are excited. Uh, you bothered to write about it. <laughs> I, uh, that's a step further than I really went. But you, uh, you, you covered this in three strikes this week, just kind of the, the manner of the schedule that the Big Ten is taking. They're, they're playing 44 conference games only. Uh, you, you touched on it briefly a few minutes ago. Just they have a variety of weekends scheduled uh, due to the fact that they're only playing conference games and there are an uneven number of teams in the conference that play baseball. Thank you, Wisconsin. So as a result, they, they had to get creative. They've gotten creative. And uh, we're going to see it for the first time this weekend when we get Michigan and Iowa and Nebraska and Purdue playing series against each other in Round Rock, Texas, We've got Ohio State and Illinois, Michigan State and Maryland playing series in Greenville, South Carolina. And then you have Minnesota, Rutgers, Northwestern, Penn State and Indiana all 
all convening in Minneapolis, uh, where Minnesota is using its winter home of U.S. Bank Stadium. That's it's the Viking Stadium, so it's domed. Um, they play their non-conference schedule there every year. So those uh, those teams are, are convening there for for some sort of I don't know uh, group tournament thing happening. I don't know, Joe. You you explain. Uh, can you explain? Uh, what is happening not only this weekend but but throughout the season there in the Big Ten? Yeah, gosh, I wish it were that simple. Um, it, it it is a wild setup, absolutely wild. So I mean, just to kind of start with, they we've talked about this a little bit, but the easy thing to do from a scheduling standpoint for the Big Ten would have been to just kind of start in mid-March. There are other conferences that are doing that. Metro Atlantic, for example, um, you know, from a baseball standpoint, that's not the company you want to keep, but that is an example of a, a Northern conference that was like, okay, we're doing conference only. And I think they're doing 40 games, but they're starting in a couple of weeks. So the big 10 could have easily probably started their, their schedule two weeks from now, whatever that would be the weekend of the 19th and done however many weeks that is times four done four games a weekend. You ended up with about 36 games. Um, but they wanted to do more than that. I think they deserve some credit for trying to maximize that. And the coaches echoed that uh, Maryland's Rob Vaughn, uh, I think was probably the, the most fervent of that group that said, look, we just, we want to play as many games as we can. Like, would we have loved to have been playing last weekend? Yeah. But I mean, this is what we, this is what we got. So, um, we're excited. We're still getting to play as many as, as we are. So, so they were able to use a couple of these venues. Uh, a couple of them made a lot of sense. Minnesota obviously gets to use the indoor facility. That's great. Um, you know, having to schedule the way they did there, I, I haven't really looked exactly what the day-to-day is there, but I, I can't imagine it's super clean <laughs> with what they're trying to, the number of teams they're trying to get in there. Um, Greenville makes some sense. And I will be in Greenville this weekend. Uh, Michigan State has like a longstanding relationship with uh, the Greenville Drive and that facility in Greenville, South Carolina. They play at least one weekend there every, every season and have for the last several I guess. So that made some sense. They were able to pull that together. I'm not sure how exactly Round Rock came together, but it is one of those places that typically brings in college baseball. We obviously just had the Round Rock Classic. Uh, there, There's a group of organizers in Texas that, that runs the, the events like in Round Rock and in Frisco. And so I think they're always just kind of looking for opportunities to bring more college baseball to the area. So that plays out in that way. And then from there, like I kind of thought, okay, your opening week is might be a little weird, but from there, maybe it's just kind of a more traditional schedule, but that listener is not true either. So you've got traditional three game series. Uh, there are not a ton of those. Um, you know, if I'd had more time, I probably would have gone through and like really tallied up the number of, okay, here's the number of three game series we have. And then they have four game series. So, you know, maybe tallied up how many of those are. And there's pods, which is where three teams go to one location and then every team plays four games, which of course is two against the other two opponents. And so it, uh, from a week to week basis is different. I mean, I think every team, each weekend, the team is going to be doing something different than what it was the previous weekend, just about, I'd be surprised if there were instances where that wasn't the case. So it's the teams are going to have to kind of be adaptable. I mean, I think at this point, Every team in college baseball is kind of used to the idea that they're just going to have to be adaptable and go with the flow. But the Big Ten, I think, is taking that to a little bit of an extreme. But I think the positive spin of this and the coaches saw two sides of this. Right. So because it is such a a big schedule of just Big Ten games, the positive spin of it is, you know what, like we've had some complaints 
and I'm kind of paraphrasing and editorializing myself here there because none of the coaches that I've spoken to have uh, said this specifically, but that, you know, the last few years have kind of been in the big 10 have been, I don't want to say marred, but you just know going in that who you end up playing in a given year has a lot of bearing on what your season looks like. So if you get a softer schedule, well, that might increase your chances to let's say win the big 10 title, but it might also kind of hurt you from an at-large perspective if you don't win the Big Ten title because you're not playing those high RPI teams. On the flip side, you know, if you get a loaded schedule, well, you know, good luck. That's going to kind of be a, a bit of a gauntlet. So this year, yes, there isn't, you know, you're going to play some teams an uneven number of times. You're not still going to have a full true round robin or true equity in it, but you are really going to be able to say at the end of the season that the team that wins the Big Ten title is going to have deserved it because, just what they're going to be going through, what they're going to be dealing with, playing nothing but Big Ten teams. The team that is the best team at the end of that is going to be the best team. And, of course, the flip side of that is that I had several coaches also say, you know, this is the probably the toughest schedule we've ever had to play just because of how not only how complicated it is and how many innings we're going to have to cover over the weekends, but also just that, you know, we're not really getting many breaks. Um, the Big Ten is more talented than it's really ever been. It's, it's deeper than it's really ever been. And so – uh, at, at precisely that time, teams are now going into a schedule where they're only going to play Big Ten competition. That's going to make it really, really tough. But it is also one of the reasons why you and I are really excited to see it play out. To me, the hardest part of this is just that you have to hit the ground running. That you know, Iowa and Michigan, two teams that are uh, you know traditionally Big Ten tournament contender teams. Um, maybe better than that. Maybe both teams challenging for the title. There is no big 10 tournament this year. That's why I say traditionally, uh, you know, they're meeting this weekend and that one's, you know, it's both of their openers. That that's really, that's a really hard deal coming out of the shoot. Uh, but they, they gotta be ready to go, uh, without, without much in the way of, of a lead time. And so I think that is very challenging now. I mean, big 10 teams are used to starting the season on the road, Many of them are challenging themselves. You know, Michigan definitely challenged itself on opening weekend last week or last year. Uh, but a lot of them also kind of ease into it opening weekend, like a lot of teams around the country do. And there's not going to be any of that to be found this year. So that's going to add to some of the uh, unpredictability of this season. I think this weekend has some great Big Ten action. You know, you've got Michigan and Iowa. Um you know, that, that first day in Greenville is going to be a really good pitching day, you know, with Ohio State, Illinois, Michigan State, and Maryland. Those are, there are going to be some high-level arms on the mound with, you know, Seth Lonsway. I think Andrew Hoffman is starting opening day for Illinois. I don't quite remember what I saw there, though, on, in terms of their, their, their projected starters. Mason Erla for Michigan State and, and Sean Burke for, for Maryland. Those are, those are guys who are going to go high in the draft and you know, then uh, in Minneapolis, uh, you know, Indiana and, and Minnesota are uh, are really exciting. Uh, Rutgers was off to a, a pretty solid start last year and, and has probably upgraded on talent. Um, you know, we'll see what what Penn State has and, and Northwestern. I know feels a lot better about its arms going into this season. So, I I'm just very interested to see how this this season gets started, where it goes from there. Uh, you know, the, the schedule is what it is, but but I think that just the level of talent in the Big Ten this year is uh, is going to 
make it a very compelling watch. Uh, I wish we could have gone to see them play other teams, but I'll I'll take the the Big Ten teams playing uh, no matter what, and and I'm I'm glad that they're back this starting this weekend. Yeah, I mean it is going to be. I think it's going to be just a good pitching year period in the Big Ten. I think you and I have had that conversation offline that, you know, the guys you mentioned, but it, it, it's a year, it really is a year where, where most teams, the Big Ten have a guy that they feel pretty good about on Fridays and that, that, you know, uh, a lot of them are also are good prospects, you know, really talented pitchers. So I think it is going to be, should on paper be a good pitching year in the Big Ten. The one question I have about the Big Ten that, that is unanswerable at this point is how this schedule is going to affect what they do in the postseason, uh, especially with the Big Ten tournament, as you mentioned, being eliminated. So it kind of takes out that opportunity for a team to play their way in because it, the Big Ten tournament is, is always one of those tournaments where there's at least one and sometimes two teams that are hanging out in the bubble that can really help themselves in the tournament. Not only is that opportunity gone, but also you lose the, you know, a team like Ohio State from a couple of years ago that was not going to be in the field that wins the thing and gets the Big Ten an extra team. So that is I mean, off that, that year is a great example. Ohio State wins the tournament, looks great doing it, gets into the field. You know, there are people that would have you believe that Michigan needed what they did in Omaha that year to, you know, get into the tournament so they could get back to Omaha. I never felt they were quite that bubbly, but I mean, the committee putting them where they put them in the in the tournament field kind of indicates that maybe that that was correct, that they really did need all of that. So, I mean, you eliminate that without having a big 10 turn. Yeah. So, I mean, you, that obviously is a, a net negative, uh, just if you're having to, to game that out, but I, what we really don't know is, is how just the conference only schedule is going to affect the way the committee views the league. And that, like I said, is, is unknowable until we see a bracket. And even then, like, we, we probably won't know exactly what they were talking about in that room. And I, I, you know, I have to wonder if it's better if, is it, is it better if a team, let, let's say Michigan, cause we have them ranked and have them as the favorite. Let's say Michigan really gets going and they rip off a 36 and eight or 37 and seven or something like that in the big 10. Uh, the most unbelievable part of that might be actually just playing all 44 games and getting that <laughs> having finishing with 44 games. But let's say they go 37 and seven. And then, you know, you've got a couple teams that are, that are good, but not great behind them. Is that better for the big 10? Because then any team that maybe the one team or two teams that beat Michigan in a series that helps their case, or is it better if you've got like a group of four or five teams that are all competing for the big 10 title in the end? Um, it's going to, I guess it's going to depend on how firm or soft the bubble is. It's going to depend on a lot of factors that we can't predict, but um, I'm sure that's, uh, causing a little bit of anxiety around the, the coaches I talked to were kind of as expected, just kind of downplayed that because they, they truly, it's not just a cliche when they say we can't control that. That is more true this year than it has ever been. But um, I, I imagine that has to be causing some anxiety that uh, they just don't know how the league is going to be perceived when it's all said and done. Well, I, I think the, the problem with that is you're kind of asking two different things there. So if Michigan or anyone ran off 35 plus wins in the big 10 the question really is are they a host or not and then how that affects the rest of the conference and how it's perceived really depends on like okay so if the winner wins it with 36 wins and then second place has 32 or 33 wins like those two teams are clear-cut tournament teams no problem about it 
what if then there's a huge gap and you have a bunch of teams with like 25, 26 wins? Um, do any of them get a chance to rise above? Or what if the top four teams in the conference run away, win 30 plus a piece? They probably all get in. So I, I, I don't think it's so much does one team run through it. It's more what does the what do the stand-ins look like for teams three through seven because those would be the teams traditionally in the bubble talk i i would guess that the big 10 is going to get two bids almost no matter what there's just going to be some respect given to them there's going to be a lot of uh eye tests like oh look look at how much talent they have like we can clearly see that when we watch these teams uh, i i think the the challenge is going to be what the the teams three through five or six are because you know that those are the teams that are typically more of the the question marks as as we approach the 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 selection monday you know the big 10 is is used to getting between three and five bids lately um so can they can can the teams that finish in the standings in, in that general area can they produce resumes i i think is the the thing to watch there yeah, I think it's also important just quickly here to note that there has been a lot of frustration around the Big Ten. Not all of it has to do with baseball, um, but there's been a lot of ire directed towards the Big Ten. There was with the Big Ten baseball, uh, with Big Ten baseball in terms of how long it took them to produce a schedule. It came out just two days before the everyone else was getting started in college baseball. But, and so while you as a person, this is the royal you, well, you might be frustrated with the Big Ten and think that, oh, this makes the league look terrible and this doesn't speak well to the league and they don't care about baseball. And, and all of those things, I think people tend to lob at the Big Ten, some criticism fair, some of it not. It's important to note that the people making the decisions on the committee, maybe there are a couple that roll their eyes a little at stuff like that. But for the most part, they do not share those types of views about the Big Ten in general. It's a pretty big cross-section of people. So for anyone who thinks that the perceived lack of interest the Big Ten has in baseball, which I think that is unfair, but a perceived lack of interest the Big Ten has in baseball is going to somehow have this big impact on how they are viewed when it comes to the postseason. I just I think that's kind of a fever dream of a certain subset of college baseball fans from other parts of the country that I just don't think is actually going to be reality. Yeah, I would say that that's going to have absolutely no bearing in the committee room. Um, they they don't care about that. <laughs> like. Of all of the the conspiracy theories, that one that one seems way more far fetched to me than wanting to uh, than, than the flip side of that that the Big Ten gets too much credit because they want the northern audience or they want the TV audience that a Michigan or an Ohio State would bring. Um, but most of that, all of it, is is uh, thrown away once once the committee actually gets in session and starts looking at the uh, at the resumes on paper in front of them. All right, Joe. Let's uh, let's transition now to our our weekend weekend picks here, uh, where I pick a few series, you pick a series, and then we we talk about the the keys for each of these teams to to come out with a, a winning weekend. Um, we're going to start back in the ACC. We have number four Louisville traveling to number fourteen Georgia Tech. It is. A very intriguing series, I, I think, coming off of last week. You have Louisville starting ACC play. Uh, remember, they played, they were one of two teams not to start last week. They played Western Illinois and lost one of those games. 
And then they lost in the midweek against Moorhead State. So Louisville is not coming into this uh, flying high. They're coming in, I don't want to say sputtering, but they're two and two in their last four games. So that that's their situation coming in. And they were banged up last weekend. I, I shouldn't even necessarily say banged up. They were they were missing 11 players for undisclosed reasons. Um, do with that information what you will. And we, we I don't know how many will be back uh, this weekend. Georgia Tech, meanwhile, went to Raleigh, swept North Carolina State kind of resoundingly uh, in their first ACC weekend. And then they did turn around and, and lose at home to Georgia State uh, yesterday. But you know, Georgia State is a solid team. I, I don't know if anyone is still not caught up to that idea, considering that the Georgia State has already been West Virginia twice and now added wins against Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech to that. But Tech gets a home series here in a big spot. That This would be a big one for the Yellow Jackets if they can come out of it with the series win. Yeah, really, it really is an interesting series. And it's, it's more, um, it goes beyond just these being two teams that have really high ceilings in the ECC. There also is an element of interest that comes from the fact that both of these teams have had moments just in the handful of games that they've played so far, where you kind of cock your head to the side and wonder what's, what's going on here. Louisville, it's just been kind of bizarre, honestly, where the losses that, you know, that loss to Western Illinois and then the loss to Moorhead State are just um, really he- big head scratchers. And I guess this, it's important, obviously, to take a step back and, and realize that any one game can obviously get sideways on a team. But also that, that Moorhead State loss, because it came so quickly after the Western Illinois series, where also, I guess I should mention, they won the last two games against Western Illinois but Western Illinois still competed those last two games. And that might, I mean, if you were forcing me to say like, why would you worry about Louisville? It might be that more so than just the fact that they lost the one game is that Western Illinois really hung around that entire weekend. Um, but it is Moorhead state. We get uh, midweek loss was in May and Louisville was having a kind of a normal season for that program. Like it'd be a great win for Moorhead state first win in that series since 2000. It, so that doesn't change, but it would, I think it would cause less, consternation um on the, the Louisville side of things so Georgia Tech similarly um you know lost to Georgia State and you, you said it Georgia State clearly has proven that um they, they can compete with these teams uh they've, they've done it every every time they've taken on uh, one of these big name teams they've played so far they've competed so that we know that much and I, I have to wonder if Georgia Tech is built in such a way we, we've talked about some of the the concerns maybe we have with their bullpen once you get past their top couple of guys. And you wonder if Georgia tech is going to be one of those teams that we see periodically that, that plays pretty well on the weekends, especially the first couple of games, the weekend, but maybe struggles a little bit more on the midweeks or on Sunday games, when you start to really push on their depth a little bit, I have to wonder if the pattern we've seen from them so far suggests that they might just be one of those teams this year. And so the good news for this series is, you know, <laughs> they get to start fresh, you know, they're starting back on a weekend, but I, I do wonder if that's kind of the team that we're looking at here. Yeah, I, I think there might be something to that. Georgia Tech's team ERA has crept above four, um, despite the fact that Brant Herter and Sam Crawford, their top two starters, have ERAs under one. Um, so obviously, the what's happening behind those guys is 
is suboptimal uh, for for the Jackets. I this this series is probably going to be relatively offensive. I would I would have to guess uh, going down to Atlanta, getting hopefully some better weather. Uh, Louisville that was definitely a problem last weekend. Uh, at least from what I saw, the the weather was was not good. Uh, but hopefully get get a little better weather in this series, and, and maybe that'll help the offense a little bit. We'll, we'll see where you know Georgia Tech is. That it was a really loud series last weekend against the Wolfpack. They still confuse me as a team. Kevin Parada has started to get going. Uh, he is, of course, their their outstanding freshman catcher, big time hitter. You can find him in the, the top 10 of the, the freshman of the year watch right now over at baseballamerica.com. But he has, he's had a, a down couple of games. I don't know what to make of that. I, there are a lot of small sample sizes here, but he, uh, he, he can really be a force uh, when he's right. And, and Luke Waddell uh, in there as well. But yeah, there also have some guys who really haven't clicked into gear yet like Trace Gonzalez, like Colin Hall, Jake Holland. So, you know, we'll see if if any of those guys can get right against Louisville. And then on the flip side, Louisville, you know, is in a similar spot. Like Lucas Dunn, one of the most veteran players in this series, is comes in hitting 250. And Alex Benellis, who um, I somebody on this podcast, maybe it was me, picked to win player of the year. He, uh, he started the year two for 31 uh, with one extra base hit. So that's obviously not good. Getting him right is going to help a lot of things for Louisville. I would have to think not like their offense has been a problem, but still they're, they're going to need him uh, in the heart of the order, doing what he's capable of doing. And, and, you know, I, I think that that probably is, is the key for me this weekend is, is can Louisville get guys like Levi Usher who last year started so well, but is currently hitting 258. Lucas Dunn, who one of their better veterans, hitting 250, and Alex Benellis hitting uh, you know two for 31 at this point in the season. Can they get those guys going at Georgia Tech against what is not the best pitching staff in the ACC? If they can do that, they've got a really good chance down there. If they don't, um, you know, I, I I would have some concerns about Louisville this weekend. I would say that Mike, so I think that's a good one because I would say, you know, you said the offense hasn't been a problem and I would, in, in hasn't been the, perhaps a big problem. I would agree with that generally, but I would also say that it's just been so inconsistent. I mean, I, I go back to that Western that's Illinois, fair. Western Illinois loss where they just had nothing once Western Illinois, who the name is escaping me and I should give them credit, but you know, they brought in this little lefty who just like slidered them to death. Um, in the last few innings, you know, he was a uh, kind of a funky lefty who wasn't throwing very hard and he was just slider, 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 slider. And um, they just had nothing for him. And then, you know, scoring two runs against Moorhead State, for that matter, scoring four runs in game two against Western Illinois. So they have these moments where they kind of, you know, the offense looks exactly like you think it ought to outside of, you know, Vanellis really struggling. But it's, it's just been so inconsistent. It's kind of come and gone a little bit. So I think a big thing for, for Louisville is I feel like they, they really need to win. This might sound a little backwards because we talked about Georgia tech, maybe being a little bit more uh, prone to, to being 
to being God at the end of the weekend, I think it's important for Louisville to come out and, and win Friday's game, honestly. And some of that will depend on, you know, who they have available on Friday, who is their Friday starter this time around. But I think it's important for them to put a, a good foot forward in this series because, it, you know, they lose that game. And I, I'm not suggesting that there's any sort of, there should be any sort of doubt creeping in, but like these guys are human and you've taken a couple tough losses. You lost last Friday's game. Um, Georgia Tech is obviously a different deal from from Western Illinois or Moorhead State. Um, but I think Louisville really needs a statement to come out and, and really trying to right the ship and, and really um, show that they're not going to let the one loss turn into two losses and let that one loss beat them again. So I think um, I think that's huge for them there. I would say in a related note, Georgia Tech, I think the key that I have for them is that I think they need to get some length from someone other than Brant Herter this weekend. And I know that that's a little bit tricky because, because of the unique situation we had this season where um, it, it's just a weird season, right? Like we've said that a million times. So it feels like everybody around college baseball is being a little extra careful with their pitchers as they should. However, you know, we're in week three now, so maybe things are starting to lengthen a little bit, but, but I think they really need to get some solid link from someone other than Brant Herter because you can kind of bet on it with Herter a little more than anybody else. Um, but the link for the other guys hasn't quite been there, even as Sam Crawford has been very good. There just hasn't quite been the, the number of innings there. But I think the fewer number of innings they can expose their bullpen to, I think the better for Georgia Tech. And so if they can go into Sunday feeling like we've got everybody in our bullpen here, I think that's where they can really give Louisville trouble because in, in little spots, they can really hurt you with their bullpen because – uh, you know, Dalton Smith has been pretty good, but I think more than that, you've got guys with, with bigger stuff like Luke Bartnicki and Zach Maxwell, who can give you an inning at a time. And if you can start to stack three or four of those guys up back to back to back, you don't need that much length on Sunday. So if they can set themselves up to be in position to do that, I feel pretty good about it, but it starts with particularly on Saturday, getting a little bit of length in their start and not just making the last two games in the series be bullpen games. For, for tech, I think for me, it's, it, Similar to Louisville, it's, it's winning on Friday. I, we're not breaking new ground here that it becomes much easier to win a series if you win game one. But this is, you know, with Brant Harder being as good as he's been, I, that's, that's a game that they really need to have if they're going to win this series. I think, I think if they don't win that game and they fall behind in the series, it's going to be hard uh, to win the next two, particularly because of what you're talking about, Joe, with, with some of the, the bullpen uh, issues. You know, if Herter... Uh, especially if it's a, you know, it, it, I guess it'd be one thing if it Herter gave you five or six and then you just lost it late on a, you know, some sort of ninth inning thing. Uh, but if it's, if it's a game where Herter doesn't quite have it and you wind up getting into your bullpen earlier in the weekend than you would have liked, you know, that's, that's a bad uh, recipe, I think for Georgia tech this weekend. So I, I, I think they, they need to come out and, kind of set the tone on Friday and, and Brant Herter has got to be the guy to do that. And he's fully capable of doing it. Uh, so that that's uh, I think Friday is a, is a massive game uh, for both of these programs. All right, we're moving on. We've got next up Texas Houston in Houston. Uh, you have an intriguing matchup here for me because both of these teams, they need this. Uh, UT comes in at five and four. Of course, they had that bad opening weekend in Arlington. They've kind of righted the ship a little bit since then. Now they get a tricky Houston team 
that comes in at six and two, but it's a soft six and two. They haven't really shown uh, what they're capable of yet. The opening weekend was against Texas Southern. Then they went to Corpus Christi last weekend. And, you know, there's just not a whole lot of bear there on their schedule. And then they lost on Wednesday to Lamar. Uh, So I don't know what to make of the Cougs yet. I definitely look forward to learning this weekend as they host the Longhorns. Uh, And again, I I think both teams come into this with a lot to be gained uh, from this weekend. Uh, Yeah, I agree. A a couple of teams that still don't know what to make of. Um, And, and we, we, to a certain degree, we still probably won't, you know, if Texas comes into the series and and wins two of three, I think we're still kind of left wondering what to make of it because, you know, at that point we start to maybe ask some harder questions of Houston and, then at Texas at, at what would be seven and five with we're wondering if any of those wins are, are really against high-end competition. Um, so there is really a, a pretty fairly likely scenario where we come out of this still kind of asking a lot of questions, but maybe we can get a little bit uh, closer. I think there was some, some positives. Texas, it kind of feels like um, a little bit in the BYU series, but even as, as time has gone on throughout the week where it feels like maybe they're starting to get some things figured out and start to come out of, it is possible that first weekend you could really just can chalk up to like, you know, the, the entire city of Austin did not have power the week leading up to them going into that series and they couldn't really practice. And those kind of things in the, in the immediate lead up to the season really kind of matter, but you started to see some signs, you know, like Ty Madden giving you a really good start, you know, Tanner Witt has come out and proven on the mound that, it looks like he's going to be a real dude for them. Um, right now they've got him in a, in a, a shorter relief role, but I think um, he's shown you a lot there. Colby Kubitschek on, is going to be on the weekends um, th- this weekend. He's pitched well so far. So maybe he's a guy who can come in and be a little bit of a difference maker on the weekend. UTSA transfer Palmer Wenzel in the bullpen has been kind of a, a revelation at just how good he has been. So does feel a little like you know Texas is starting to put it together and of course the offense is more of a question than than the pitching staff here and, and we'll just have to see on that but but it does feel a little more like the UT team it's easy to say when they're actually winning some games but it does feel a little more like the team that we thought we were going to see coming into the season Houston is is, is weird I agree with you um, they have 20 home runs as a team however most of those maybe not most but a plurality certainly came in one game against AM Corpus Christi where they just went absolutely nuts on the home run ball so I, I don't know I'm not really sure what to make there and it was a team that you thought if you know if this team is really good it's probably going to be on the mound because they do have they have not a lot of guys who have done a lot in a Houston uniform but they do have a lot of guys who people feel pretty strongly about in terms of the quality of arm they, they brought in a lot of new faces uh, the numbers out there are pretty good so far. Um, this will be a little bit more of a test than what they've what they've seen. Um, but I did not expect to be at this juncture. And, and while the pitching numbers are good, I think what really stands out to you about the Cougars is how much physicality they have in their offense. And even if, yes, the quality of competition hasn't been the greatest for Houston, there's been Houston teams in the past that have faced competition on par with that and haven't shown nearly that level of physicality on offense. So I'm choosing to kind of take that as a sign that, you know, this offense might be one of the better ones that Todd Winning and his staff have had in a long time there. And I think that could go a long way towards making them better this season. For me, the the thing that 
really stands out about Texas right now is that uh, their offense continue. I mean, it, it doesn't stand out to me that they're not hitting super well. Like that's not a huge surprise, but just some of the guys that are struggling to this point, it is a bit of a surprise to me that, that that's where the struggle point is. Eric Kennedy, who was their best hitter, um, you know, over one of their best hitters last year. Uh, you know, he, uh, he said in 162, Austin Todd, uh, you know, has been, has been out of the lineup. Uh, DJ Petrinsky has kind of been out of the lineup. Those are two veteran guys getting them back eventually would, would mean a lot for them. Mike Antico, who I know had a lot of buzz coming out as a grad transfer from St. John's, he's struggled so far. And Trey Faltini, who I really, really like as a draft prospect in 2022. And some of that is just that he's an outstanding uh, shortstop, but you know, he's not really hitting right now either. He's hitting 222. So those guys, especially Antico and Kennedy, I think they need to find a way to get a little bit more out of. Antico homered uh, in the midweek. That was his first one for the Horns. He's got four stolen bases. If he can just get a little more consistent, uh, that, that would be really big. Uh, Kennedy's clearly not seeing the ball very well right now. He's struck out 11 times, no walks, and uh, 37 at-bats. Uh, so getting him right would, would be huge. I, on the flip side, though, Douglas Hodo, who has as much speed as probably anyone in college baseball, I really think he's he's a lot of fun to watch. And you know, he's been out there playing pretty well uh, in a little bit more of a reserve role. So maybe they can get a little more out of him if they're not getting as much out of some of these other guys. But uh, they're going to need a couple of those uh, guys, veterans, but but core lineup members uh, to get it going. I would say. Yeah, I think that's I think that's my my big key there for Texas on the weekend is get some get get the production from the guys who haven't been hitting that you kind of expected to be hitting. I think for Houston, it's it's asking too much to have them go out and out pitch time Madden. Could it happen? Sure, it's baseball, but uh, I think it would be. Um, I think it would be a good sign for Houston if they're able to match pitching at least relatively closely with Texas over the last couple of days of the weekend. I think that that gives them a, uh, put, would put them in position to maybe win the series on Sunday is if they can go mostly inning for inning with Texas throughout the last couple of days. Um, if you, if you win Friday and you beat Madden, great. Um, but outside of that, those last two games are going to be their opportunity to, uh, to match the Longhorns and, and come away with a series win. I would, I would definitely agree with that. I, I would add though, that, um, I think I feel okay about UH's starting pitchers in terms of matching up. They're not going to match stuff with Ty Madden, Kobe Kubitschek, and Pete Hansen, but I, I think they, they can match up pretty well. Uh, but the bullpen is uh, has been great to this point for, for UH, and if they're going to win this series, uh, I, I think they're going to need a lot out of their bullpen. Again, just because you know it, it's going to be you know like we talked about, guys aren't going that deep in the games. They're going to need the bullpen to keep doing what they've been doing. Um, Houston as a team has a 292 ERA. And while they don't have their bullpen numbers perfectly in front of me, there are a lot of guys with a lot of zeros um, next to their name in, in, in that bullpen. I can't confirm that. I'm looking at their stats. Like I can't. You are <laughs> correct. You are correct on that regard. All right. Let's stay in the city of Houston and uh, go over to uh, – Minute Maid Park for the Shriners Hospital for Children College Classic. 
Uh, this is one annually one of the best, biggest uh, early season tournaments around the country. Uh, disappointed not to be there this year. It's going to be very different, though. I would imagine uh, just there will be less. They do a great job. I say this every single year. They do a great job at showcasing the children, the the Shriners' patience that they uh, they get to to meet with the teams to you know kind of be adopted by these teams. I imagine there's going to be a lot less of that this year, completely eliminated perhaps. I don't know the the full situation there. Uh, and so that's unfortunate. And I look forward to a time when uh, we're able to, uh, you know, go back to integrating that as, as well as they do uh, in this tournament. But on field, Joe, this is massively interesting, massively maybe overstated. It's very interesting because the field is an all Texas field. And when you look at it, you're not going to be as blown away as what you saw in Arlington or what you've seen in the in this Shriners tournament in years past. You've got TCU, Texas Tech are the headliners, Rice, Texas State, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Sam Houston State. And so not, not as heavy on the major conference teams this year. There are some very intriguing teams here beyond the Red Raiders and uh, and the Frogs, though. In, in Sam Houston State, you've got preseason All-American outfielder Colton Kowser. Uh, this is a big stage for him. You have Texas State, which came into the, the year as the, the favorite in the Sun Belt's West Division, but has been off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, they lost a tough series at Sacramento State last weekend. They have a lot to prove. Rice is off to a, a slow start again this year. And then Corpus Christi as well. So some teams have a lot to prove here and they're going to get a chance to do it because of the way the tournament sets up. They, they form effectively two pods. And so pod one is TCU, Texas Tech and Rice. And they play uh, around Robin against Sam Houston, Corpus Christi and Texas State. So those those mid-major teams that really need something this weekend or Colin Kowser's case, uh, you need to, to prove something to scouts against upper level pitching. They're going to have an opportunity to do so, uh, but it's going to mean beating top 10 caliber teams, Texas Tech and TCU. Yeah, I think where, where this tournament maybe lacks in terms of the big time star power than, than that we are used to having in this tournament quite often, I think it makes up for a little bit, as you alluded to, in being important for certain different subsets of teams here. And also, also being an opportunity for, to, you know, there are some good teams here, especially with, with TCU and in Texas tech. So it's not without some uh, big name power here, but um, I think with <laughs> Texas tech has now gone on its, uh, you know, off it, offensive rampage tour. It does every year where sometimes it's in the first weekend, sometimes in the second weekend, but you know, they had their series where they, um, they beat up on Houston Baptist, poor Houston Baptist. Um, you know, they go to that, they go to Lubbock every, every year and they, you know, their pitchers give up a ton of runs against a really good Texas tech offense in an offensive environment in Lubbock. And then they, they head back home. And then they had a couple of big midweek, you know, uh, big run totals in the midweek against Texas Southern. So they, they, you know, have kind of done that ritualistic thing they do. Um, but let's not forget that what we saw in the first weekend was a Texas tech team that looked a little out of sorts, looked like it was still figuring a lot out. Um, 
And I, you know, at this point, like it's very easy to go into the weekend and say the key for Texas Tech is to figure something out on the weekend. But like, I think we're kind of beyond that point. Like, I think it's kind of clear just with the way that they they handle their pitching staff that, that we're not going to get that. Like, yes, there might be a star that emerges. Like, for example, Patrick Monteverde has been very good for them. And maybe at this point, you know, he's the guy who leads the rotation. Maybe he looks like more of a traditional starter. But beyond that, like, I just, I don't think we're going to get um, a revelation on the Texas Tech pitching staff. We'll get a good performance here or there. I'm not saying we won't get that, but I just don't think we'll come out of the weekend going, there it is, there's the formula. Um, that's just probably not going to happen. So what I will stay and say instead is that the key for Texas Tech is to do what it has done the last however many games against five games against Houston Baptist and Texas Southern and keep doing that against pitching that its offense should be able to handle. Because frankly, like it, its offense should be able to do similar things, uh, not quite to the same degree probably, but should be able to do similar things against the pitching that it for the most part is going to see this coming weekend. Um, so that's kind of my key for them. I'm also fascinated in a similar sense to see TCU because one of the things that I really liked about that team coming into the season was I, I used the phrase they had a grown-up lineup because what I saw from them last year was I used the example and I've said it before of when they faced Jack Leiter in LA last year and Jack Leiter wasn't quite the Jack Leiter we see now. He was not throwing 98 mile an hour, you know, BBs to the plate. His stuff was a little lesser and it was his first weekend start and TCU just really took advantage of a pitcher who clearly had not been in that moment before. And they were able to really kind of feast on pitching that wasn't in its best form. But now it's a team that's hitting under 250. A lot of the guys that I think they thought they were going to be leaning on most heavily are, are really struggling. Um, they've got, you know, just one regular hitting uh, better than 300. It's just not an offense that it's not the version of the offense. I thought that we were going to see at, at this juncture. So I think this is an opportunity for TCU to maybe get a little bit right offensively. And so we'll have to see, but that's kind of what I go into the weekend looking for with the Horn Frogs, because I feel pretty good about where their pitching is. I'm a little less sure of what they've got offensively. And I'm surprised I'm saying that because I actually had a pretty high level of confidence that the floor for them offensively was pretty high and maybe it still is, but so far what they've done is below what I thought the floor was coming into the season. Yeah. I think this is a big weekend for TCU to kind of, they, they need they need this weekend to to get right uh it's gonna be hard to do on this stage but this is a place where tcu has historically played very well and you know they uh th th it sets up for them well i would say to uh to have another strong weekend in uh in minute Maid park i what one of the things that i'm most interested in seeing is is Kowser in this stage He's five for 19 this year. He has one extra base hit. It's a triple struck out seven times, walked four. I don't know what to make of all of that. It's uh, they, they played uh, UTSA last weekend. They got um, one game in against Texas state and one game in against Baylor. So it, it's a smaller sample for Sam Houston state. Um, there are going to be eyes on him this weekend though. And if uh, th this is his best chance to make a, big impression uh, just based on the schedule. If he can do something against the pitching staffs of Rice, Texas Tech, and TCU, uh, that is going to, to set him up uh, much better in terms of the draft. And 
honestly, it's a, it's a big four game stretch because they play at Texas on Tuesday. And then after that, you know, they're into Southland play. And, you know, for the most part, you know, pitching in the Southland just isn't the same level. He's not going to see this again. I mean, scouts aren't going to get to see him against this kind of pitching again. And that all means that it's a, it's a big weekend uh, from, from a draft perspective, from a, you know, on-field baseball perspective for Sam Houston, like they desperately, I would say, need this before they go to Southeastern Louisiana to open uh, conference play, because that's, uh, that's one of the best teams in the Southland that they're starting against. So if they, uh, if they fall into a, if they really fall into a funk here at the start of the season, it could snowball on them in a hurry. Sorry to say that about your alma mater, Joe. It's the reality, you know, I mean, I think with, with Kowser, I think the best thing that he can do this weekend, I mean, sure. He could absolutely go off. That's within the realm of possibility, but I think the biggest thing that he could do this weekend is just show that he's not going to try to go out of his way because he like, he knows. And if we ask Jay Sirianni now, he'd probably say, well, we're, you know, we're not really focused on, how much of a showcase this can be for him individually. And I, I believe him when he says that clearly, but you know, Colton Kowser's human. He knows this is a big showcase for him. Like he knows the opportunity presented here. And I think there'd just be a, a temptation to try to do a little too much, to try to make the moment a little bit too big. Um, and I, I guess I should clarify. I don't think it's the moment would be, it's just that, you know, he's in a situation where he and Jack Rogers are really the focal points of that offense. And you know, I'd be surprised if, if he gets pitched to a ton. Now, if the games end up being laughers and Sam Houston doesn't keep up, like maybe he gets some, maybe he actually in kind of a backwards way gets pitched to a little bit more because Sam Houston's not as competitive this weekend as they would like to be. So I guess that's a possibility, but um, you know, take your walks if they're not there. Like um, I think the worst thing that he could do is try to turn this into the the Colton Cowser show this weekend and, and really put on a big show for uh, the fans that are there. And more importantly, the scouts that are there. And oh, by the way, try to get some big wins for his program, which is coming off a tough weekend. Um, but that's just obviously not going to be the best way to approach it. So um, you're right. That is um, that, that, that's a big deal there. Texas State similarly needs it. You, you mentioned the series sweep at the hands of Sac State. And that's not so shocking on its face because we both like Sac State a lot as a team. But, you know, Texas State was a team that I thought could really flirt with being an at-large team. And they still have some opportunities. This weekend is chief among them. Um, if they they have to do it this weekend, if they don't do it this weekend, I would say the outlarge possibilities are probably floating out the window, if not yeah, already no, gone. I would agree. I mean, they do have a series with Houston. So if Houston turns out being really good within the scope of the American, like that could obviously help. But you're right. I mean, the, the, the opportunities are starting to really dwindle. They've also got a series, uh, interestingly, with Washington in Seattle towards the end of April. That's interesting. Um, I just I note that not necessarily as an at-large thing, but just as a weird little quirk of, of their schedule. I mean, if UW is the UW, I think they can be. That would be nice, uh, but especially being on the road. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, uh, you know, Texas State needs to probably do something this weekend if it really wants to be taken seriously as a potential at large team um, because the um, you know, not winning that series at home against BYU to start the season and then uh, getting swept on the road at Sacramento state is tough. They really needed to get a game there. So a uh, big weekend for the Bobcats, no doubt. Do, uh, do you have anything to say about rice? Cause I'm flummoxed. They're three and four. They were swept at uh, by the Cajuns last weekend, Connor Walsh, who I thought would have a nice season transferring in from, Ole Miss, soft to a slow start, 
Hal Hughes isn't hitting. Uh, LSU fans understand how that works. Uh, really good defender, but he's hitting 182 to start the season. Brandon Como's hitting. That's a uh, that's a positive for Rice. Not not particularly surprising either. But uh, beyond that, the offense has been pretty disappointing, and they're pitching all right. Uh, nothing, nothing super duper stand out uh, on that end. Rolo Garcia has been off to a, a nice start on the mound. Beyond that, it's uh, it's a little more pedestrian. Well, I guess Reed Gallon's been pretty good too. But beyond that, those two guys, it's uh, not been quite as outstanding. I don't know what to make of this team. Yeah, it's tough. I, I don't think I don't think they're they're very good. Um, I'll just be blunt about it. I, I don't think this iteration is is very good. Um, they've also been bit a little bit with some some bad luck and some various things. You know, before the season, Justin Collins, one of their better position players, one of the more talented position players, uh, left the program, so he's not there. Um, that hurts. Um, they've been a little dinged up. I think Connor Walsh is a little bit dinged up. Um, now he was, you're right. He was not hitting before he got a little dinged up, but that, that is a, um, a concern there. Guy Garibay, who is their, their best recruit in this class. Um, he was a kind of off to an inconsistent start B has also been, I understand a little bit dinged up. So they've had some bad luck, but that doesn't excuse the fact that like offensively, they have three veterans who've been there a long time in Braden Como, Bradley Knighting and Kate Edwards who are hitting. And in terms of guys who have, have gotten regular at bats, those are the only three. Um, the transfer situation has not really worked out and it's not to say it won't or can't, but Connor Walsh off to a slow start, Hal Hughes offensively off to a slow start. I presume he's still, you know, fielding like they would like him to, but they also brought in a grad transfer from the D3 level of Will Carp, who they were really excited about, who was like maybe a breakout star of the fall and he's hitting 222. So, um, that has not really gone according to plan. Roel Garcia, you're right. Um, you know, this guy who's dealt with a lot of injury concerns at Rice. He looks really good. So I think that's just a really positive story for him. Um, seems like he's been there really forever. If you're looking for a silver lining on the pitching staff, I do think it's that some of the guys who have thrown better innings for them are younger. So Reed Gallant is a freshman. Um, you know, Dylan Janik is a freshman. Uh, Matthew Linsky is a freshman and those are three of the guys that have zero ERAs. Now Janik and Linsky have not thrown that many innings, but uh, that has not precluded other pitchers, a small number of innings from giving up lots of runs. So um, that is, that is not necessarily going hand in hand there. So maybe you can start to squint and see that the makings of a good, pretty good pitching staff a couple of years down the road with this current group of freshmen, but that's may not help all that much this year. Cause I just, I don't, think this team is, is particularly good and um, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I, I think what we've seen so far, I think is somewhat instructive of what we might see the rest of the way. All right, let's, uh, let's finish up my picks uh, with another tournament in Texas. Let's go up to Frisco uh, for, uh, it's another intriguing field. You got Dallas Baptist, you got Arizona, you got Oklahoma and uh, th- those, those three teams all off to uh intriguing starts here uh you know i'm i'm not quite sure what to expect uh from all of them and then you have missouri rounding out the field and uh, missouri is not off to a a good start but uh, we don't need to to spend too much time on on the tigers joe but just the the field itself dbu oklahoma and arizona all have a chance to really make a statement this weekend arizona and oklahoma are hanging on the back end of the top 25 uh, with a strong weekend, 
in Frisco, they would really have a chance to kind of make a move. And I should note that this starts on Thursday because Arizona and Oklahoma added uh, a game. The tournament really starts on Friday, but they're playing each other uh, on Thursday night. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, look for that. If you're listening to this on Friday, they already played. So I guess look up the box score. Uh, but DBU has a really good chance here to make some noise. They're on the outside of the top 25, but not so far on the outside. If they if they had a really strong weekend, you know, they'd really be in consideration. But I, I think Arizona and Oklahoma really have a chance this weekend to kind of reinforce uh, or prove what, what we had been thinking about them uh, since the preseason. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a, it's a really big weekend for, for those two teams in particular. I kind of look at it similar to the way I, I look at when we went into la the last uh, tournament, Round Rock tournament, uh, there we go. Took me a while to spit that out. Um, I look at it similarly in terms of there were some opportunities for teams to really make big statements. Oklahoma was one of them, and nobody really did. Um, you know, I guess Oklahoma played pretty well um, throughout the weekend, and they won the, the game in dramatic fashion with Auburn to start off and then finished with the win. So maybe maybe you can make the argument that helped them stay in the top 25, and that was a big deal. But really, you, you didn't come out of that weekend feeling – you know, super uh, confident about, um, you know, necessarily confident about what you'd seen there. So this is, a, you know, they kind of are back in the same situation here. Uh, also, just by the way, Missouri and DBU did follow suit. They are also playing a game on Thursday night. Um, it starts at 8 p.m. local time in Frisco. I'm not sure why that's the case. Um, I would presume because Oklahoma and Arizona started their game when they started it, and then they just had to follow suit with the game later than that, I, I presume is the, the deal there. But uh, so Mizzou and DBU also tacking on a fourth game to the weekend. So um, whether that is inside or outside of the framework of the actual tournament, um, I, I don't know that that matters, but I, I, I'm curious. Um, anyway, um, Arizona, a sweep of Southeastern Louisiana, but kind of a weird sweep. Offense is for the most part doing what you'd like to see it doing. Um, I don't think we have really any questions about Arizona's offense and what they can do on the high end. And even the bullpen in some cases has been pretty decent. It seems like they found some guys on the, on the, in the bullpen, but starting pitching is just kind of all over the map for Arizona. And that's not a huge surprise. I guess that was the, the concern we had about them, about them coming in. Um, but I think that's a, that's a big key is, is, you know, getting a little more consistency out of those, out of those starters and the numbers don't look, don't look too bad on their face for the pitching staff. It's a 353 team ERA, but there has been a level of inconsistency there. And, um, you know, they've had a number of times where they'll, they'll get a start where it's a little bit of a mixed bag and, you know, guy throws four and two thirds innings, gave up a couple runs and it's like, okay, was this a good or a bad start? Like it's hard to kind of quantify what this was. And they, so they've, they've had to fill in a lot of innings along the way. So that's kind of what I'm looking for there with Arizona is, um, you know, can they, can they start to put something together on the mound that makes you feel like they have a cohesive uh, unit they can throw out there weekend after weekend? Maybe they got a little bit of that with TJ Nichols last weekend. You know, Chase Silseth has been pretty good on the front end, uh, but TJ Nichols threw really well last weekend, and maybe maybe he's the guy. Um, one thing they have done is tried a lot of different guys, and um, a lot of guys have pitched, so they're clearly trying to mix and match out there. Uh, but I think that's going to be, uh, I don't think it's any surprise, the big key for them. I uh, am very interested in what this weekend means for Dallas Baptist. DBU comes in at five and two 
they split a four-game series against Gonzaga last weekend, and they swept Austin P on opening weekend. That's a team that typically schedules really, really, really well. Um, usually has some big opportunities for itself, at least in midweeks. Uh, this year, there is none of that. And um, this is it. They're, this is the only time that they're playing power conference competition. And frankly, even their non-conference weekends are not like amazingly high level. You know, Austin P's one and six, and I don't think, Joe, you picked them in the top half of the OVC. Uh, Gonzaga, we expect to be solid in, in the West Coast Conference. Oral Roberts is two and six and sure doesn't look like the Oral Roberts of old. They're playing Tarleton. That's not getting it done. UTRGV um, probably competes in the WAC, but isn't, isn't like a massive RPI boost or anything. And then Air Force, who will be okay probably in the Mountain West, but no better than that. I, that's, their, that's their whole schedule. So if DBU is intent on producing anything beyond what they're doing in the Valley, this is the weekend to do it. And, you know, I, I think the schedule sets up for them well. They get Missouri for the first two and then Arizona and Oklahoma. And if I was trying to draw up the schedule, like that's probably how I would have tried to draw it up if I was Dan Heefner, maybe flip Oklahoma and Arizona. I don't know. But uh, the point is I would want to lead off with, with Mizzou and they're going to do that. So this is huge for, for, for the Patriots at large hopes. Um, it should they wind up needing that. Now it's also entirely possible that they run away with the Valley and, and it really won't end up being a big deal. But for, for a team, for a program that is very much used to being in the at-large discussion, you know, being on the periphery of the hosting discussion, uh, it, things are just harder for them this year, given how their schedule uh, shook out and, and the fact that they're not playing midweek games. So they need this weekend. They come in hitting pretty well, I would say. Um, you know, Blaine Jones, their shortstop, had a huge opening weekend, wasn't as good last weekend. Getting him back on track uh, would be nice. But, you know, I, just overall, the the thing I'm most watching with this team is, uh, is, is their pitching staff. Getting that right is, is going to be key. Uh, they, they have some more of their famous guys who have struggled a bit to this point. Uh, Ray Gaither, uh, for instance, longtime pitcher in their rotation, uh, has given up nine runs and six and a third innings to this point. So, getting him right, get, getting Kagan, Kragen, Crikley, uh, you know, back to his kind of dominant self, I would say is is going to be big for them. But just overall, this this is a this is DBU's shot to make a statement, and, and they they can't miss it this weekend. Totally agree. It's um, yeah. The offense has been about what you expect. And even on the pitching staff, like, you know, if you started to tell me like, okay, so through a couple of weeks, Dom Hamill is going to have a 253 RA and he struck out 17 and 10 and two thirds and holding opponents to 139. I'd be like, great. That sounds, that sounds about right. Um, but outside of that, and you know, and Jared Pettit, you know, the well-traveled Jared Pettit, you know, is a guy who speaking of guys who struggle with injuries, like he's thrown pretty well. Um, too many walks, I guess. I just now saw that line seven and six and two thirds inning. Not great, but the other peripherals are pretty good there. But outside of that, like you're right, it has been a little bit of a, you know, Craig and Keckley's a guy who I thought was kind of in the middle of a breakthrough season in 2020, a guy who's thrown a lot of innings in that 
in that uh, bullpen and has kind of always been behind somebody, most notably Burl Caraway in terms of being the dude at the back end of the bullpen. Um, I thought maybe in 2020, he was kind of having a breakout. And then this year he, you know, he might be the guy and, and still very well could be. Um, but I went back and looked and it's been a while since, you know, th there used to be this word association. DBU always hits pretty well, but there used to also be a word association with, with Dallas Baptist that they had, um, a lot of really big arms and a lot of really good arms in the pitching staff. And that has still been true. They've usually got at least one or two guys, but it's been a while since DBU has really had a really deep pitching staff where you had, you know, a couple of guys in the rotation who were, were really trustworthy and could give them length and quality. And then more than a couple of guys in the bullpen, you know, um, you know, it's been, I think since 2016, since they had a team ERA under four. Um, and some of those years were closer to five. So, or at least in the, in the middle of four and five. So um, I don't know that this team is any different than that, but it does suggest that kind of what we've seen from them so far now, 546 team ERA is a little higher than you would think, but um, it just might be that this team kind of with some small improvements, Craig and Keckley being a little bit more, you know, uh, consistent, one of the other starting pitchers giving them some length and quality in a way that they haven't so far. Um, but it might also just be that this pitching staff, kind of what we see is is what we get, at least on the, the top end. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Wes Johnson is gone and he's not coming back. Like ultimately, I think is, is what we're getting at there with what their their pitching staff is, the, just the general trajectory of it over the last five years. But uh, they they are going to need to get a little bit more out of it on, on that end. And um, those matchups against Arizona and, and Oklahoma, particularly as, you know, in a four game weekend, as you get to the back end of, of the bullpen against high end offenses, particularly Arizona, um, not, not that Oklahoma is not a, a good offense as well. I mean, that, that's, that's going to be where, where some hay is, is potentially made. So that is, uh, that is what I'm watching there uh, this weekend. Joe, let's, uh, let's get to, uh, to your pick. Okay, so I'm going to swerve a little bit here. Um, so I did a little bit of digging on one series and then I kind of realized like on the fly, there was actually another series I was a little more interested in. So let me just do a, a quick dump on um, a note dump on, um, I guess, phrasing. Let me do a quick uh, <laughs> dump of my notes here uh, on the series I looked up first, um, because frankly, as I looked at the schedule, it wasn't a great weekend for kind of interesting under the radar stuff. Um, it was either teams that we've already kind of talked about or, um, teams that I think are interesting, but are being kind of swooped up into some of these other things that we've talked about, like the, um, Minute Maid, the, the uh, Shriners tournament um, at Minute Maid in, in Houston. So uh, I looked at McNeese and Louisiana Tech, a couple of teams that um, we've talked a little bit about, and I think you and I both like. A um, couple of things here, Justin Hill, McNeese's head coach, uh, will not be with the team. He is uh, uh, a COVID positive. So um, now the contract tracing was pretty limited with McNeese, um, which made it to where they could still play this series, but he will not be with the team. So that is a little bit of a, a wrinkle there. Uh, so just quickly, uh, all you need to know here, McNeese offense has been about as good as advertised. Clayton Raspberry is hitting better than 500, or at least was when I looked up these stats, I guess. I, but um, they've got a couple guys who we kind of expected to be big parts of the offense. Jake Dickerson, for example, that haven't gotten going yet. So I think that offense could even be a little better as time goes on. Will Dion in the rotation is coming off of striking out 19 batters against now it's Prairie View AM, so we have to understand the opponent there, but striking out 19 is striking out 19. 
Uh, Louisiana Tech also um, has had a good offensive performance so far. They've been as advertised. So I think there's going to be a lot of runs scored here. At least that would be my prediction there. And the big picture thing here is these are both teams, I think, that fancied themselves as teams that could be at large. Uh, but they've missed some early opportunities. Uh, McNeese got swept by Bama in that opening series. Um, Louisiana Tech had a game against LSU uh, the first Monday of the season where they got a lead early and just couldn't hold it. So I think a big series for these two teams to try to get, if they're going to be serious about building those kind of resumes, I think it starts with with this series here. So as much as I talked there, that's not my actual pick. On the fly, I kind of decided to pivot to Georgia State at Tennessee. Um, now, this isn't too out of the radar because Tennessee is ranked, but I think it's interesting because Tennessee, in our top 25 meeting, we talked about how Tennessee's got a good record, but man, it has had to work hard to get that record. And um, it has kind of played with its food a little bit uh, the first couple weeks of the season in terms of not really putting teams away like you would have hoped. And some of the, you know, Georgia Southern, for example, good team. I think at this point we could say good team has played a hard schedule record doesn't reflect who they are. Um, so that's interesting to me. Also Jackson Leaf. Um, I've not seen Tennessee put their rotation out yet this weekend, but Jackson Leaf left his start last weekend uh, with a apparent be like hamstring pull or something like that. So we will have to uh, maybe see what comes of that. And now at this point, Georgia State, like we've talked about, uh, that team might just be good. And I know you've, you've talked to some folks who maybe have a little bit more of insight into Georgia State. So I'll, I'll let you kind of touch on what you think might be behind the way they've competed so far. But like at this point, it's just pretty clear that like Georgia State's going to give you a good series. And they, I mean, at this point, we have to say they're probably going to take a game off of you. Just a matter of which one. And I think that makes this weekend pretty interesting because if Tennessee kind of plays around with Georgia State, like they could, they could truly get beat. Yeah, I would say Tennessee really needs to be careful because they've already been flirting with losing series against good quality competition. And they've got another one coming in uh, this week. And this one is probably even more prepared to go out and, and make it happen than Indiana State and Georgia Southern were. I mean, I, Georgia Southern, I, a series between Georgia Southern and Georgia State would be fantastic this year. Um, I don't think it's uh, in, in the cards for a couple months. So hopefully they're still playing uh, at, at that level, but I would, I will be very interested when when they do match up. Oh, it is the start of April, Easter weekend. Uh, start it with Georgia State and Georgia Southern in Atlanta. Anyway, um, so like that is, th th this is another high level opponent for the Vols. And you know, with this Georgia State team, it, it starts on the mound uh, in a lot of ways, but it also like, they, they've produced pretty well offensively. They just have a lot of different pitchers they can throw at you. Um, I'm not going to count the number of players that they've thrown, but I it's north of a dozen already. Um, and while they don't all have impressive numbers, uh, when you consider the competition that they're playing, um, it is pretty remarkable just how well th this has all worked for them. The bullpen is interesting here. Uh, you got a guy like Dawson Sweat, who has been a name for a while. Um, you know, he's been around college baseball, and he's very experienced. Joseph Brandon is off to a really nice start. Cameron Landry, 
Rafael Acosta, Chandler Dawson, these, these guys coming out of the bullpen, uh, just give them a bunch of different looks for teams. And I think that makes them difficult, um, much more so than like just having elite starting pitching. It's just, they have a lot of different pitching. They generally throw strikes. Uh, there are some different looks they can run at teams. And, you know, that's kind of been the key to the success so far, uh, you know, for the Panthers. They, they've got some good hitters. It's not the world's most offensive team. Will Mize is the standout there. He's hitting 412. Uh, but they have some power. It's not like a ton of power. It's not a ton of speed. It's just, again, a team that, that knows what it is, uh, kind of makes you work a little bit in the strike zone. And, you know, it's just that they're, they're pretty pesky. And they, again, use a lot of guys just offensively on the mound, whatever. They're going to run a lot of different guys at you, making, again, matchup problems. And this is Brad Stromdahl's second season as head coach there. And, you know, the, the results to this point have been very good. Now, they are just four and six. But, again, it's important to remember that that's four and six against West Virginia, Vanderbilt, and Georgia Tech. So, uh, decent, <laughs> decent competition there. I don't know at some point if playing all of these games against that kind of competition is going to catch up to, to Georgia state. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it will this weekend. Uh, it's been a tough road to this point. It's not getting any easier, but I, I have to believe that they knew what they were getting into, uh, coming into the season and that they were probably pretty excited for it. On the Tennessee side of this, they got to fix the offense. Like, right, this is this is a team hitting 256. You've seen Max Ferguson, first-team preseason All-American. He's hitting 211. Luke Lipschius has been around this team for a long time. He's hitting 179. Um, Connor Pavloni has been around the team a long time. He's not uh, doing particularly well at the plate at the moment. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of that and, and they, they're going to need, I think somebody to, to kind of pick it up, uh, for them. Jordan Beck, uh, has been playing very well. That that's, uh, a breakout performance that, you know, I I think Tony Vitello may have predicted on this podcast. Um, I know that he's certainly high on Jordan Beck and, and that's being delivered right now. I just can't remember if Tony name checked Jordan Beck on on the podcast when, when he was here. Uh, in the fall, but he's very impressive. Liam Spence is off to a good start, but it, to me, Tennessee this weekend, you know, really needs to find a way to get the offense going. And it's not going to be easy. They face difficult pitching against Georgia Southern, against Indiana State, and it's going to happen again this weekend. I can confirm that he did name check Jordan Beck on this podcast. I call him potential first rounder when he's draft eligible. So there's there's that a high endorsement there. The thing with Tennessee lineup, I agree with you. Um, it's also just with Tennessee, like you look at these stat sheets this time of year, and it seems like most teams have one guy who it's like, wow, this guy is never going to hit this well again. He's just absolutely on fire. And like Tennessee doesn't have that guy. They've got some guys with good numbers. Jordan Beck is, is one of them. Liam Spence is another, but they don't really have a guy hitting. They literally don't have a guy hitting like 450, you know, who's just playing out of his mind. So you they, can take they don't even as, have a guy hitting 350. Right. I mean, so you can kind of like, take that as a positive, like, and say that, well, okay, some of these guys are going to hit better. You can also take it as like, um, you know, they, they really just haven't had, you know, anything resembling the, the complete offensive performance that we thought we might get from them. So um, that, I think you're right about that. That is interesting. Georgia state is going to just be, 
scheduling the way they did could have gone two ways. I mean, at this point they could be one in nine and we're like, Oh my goodness. Like, what were they thinking? Like, this is, <laughs> this is a terrible idea. And it has gone better than I think certainly than I expected. I think better than most expected, maybe for anybody outside of that program expected. Um, you're right that it could wear on them over time. I think it's also a thing. Like I watched that Vanderbilt win the last few innings of it. And it's like clearly a team that believes like they really think they belong and that could be a powerful thing. And they are going to be a fascinating test case. Let's say, let's say they win a game against Tennessee and then, um, you know, win a game against Kentucky. And then, you know, maybe they pick one off against Clemson. So in the next eight games, they go even three and five, you know, which might be a little bit optimistic, but I mean, they're going to come out of this stretch with not a great record, but to the point where if they do pretty well in the Sun Belt, like that's going to be an interesting at large case in a year when we're going to have a lot of interesting at large cases, just because of the unique scheduling situation around the country. I'll be fascinated to see how it ends up playing out. Yeah, there is, uh, there is definitely that element as well, uh, which makes this weekend, uh, again, all the bigger it, with it being on the road. So I, I think this is a good one to, to keep an eye on, uh, particularly as, as, a, as it pertains to, uh, to Tennessee. Um, you know, just they've, they've looked shaky at times. So uh, it, maybe this is a place where, where Georgia State uh, can make even more noise than they've already made. I, I think that they've, you know, considering they're only four and six, I, it's a pretty loud four and six. So they, they have a chance to, uh, to really do, do some even, even more damage uh, this weekend. So I, I, I think that was a good pick, Joe. All right. That's going to do it for us. We've been talking for a while. Uh, we went pretty deep in, uh, into this weekend. We went pretty deep into to the big 10. So hopefully uh, you all appreciate that here as you're getting ready for the third weekend of college baseball. And as you're doing so, remember that there's plenty of content over at baseballamerica.com, and we will be covering this over there throughout the weekend. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We will be back here on Monday with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast recapping all of the weekend that was. And uh, so hopefully you, you look for that. You can subscribe to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. And then that episode will pop right into your phone there on Monday when we, uh, when we get it posted. Until then, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next week. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.